0: Sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day. Hello, and welcome to Physical Attraction, the show that explains physics, one chat-up line at a time. Time for an experiment. Get a long piece of string with something tied to the end of it. A pair of headphones will do if you let the earbuds dangle down. A plug or a charger is also pretty good, as long as you're not too worried about the wires. OK. Now let it dangle down with the bob under its own weight. Move the bob, the thing on the end of the string, a little bit so that the string makes an angle of about 10 degrees to the vertical. Let it go and watch it oscillate back and forth. Congratulations, because you're now watching essentially most of what we know about classical physics unfold before you. A vast chunk of our knowledge about the physics of the world around us comes back time and time again to this simple system. It might seem like an exaggeration, but it's really less of an exaggeration than you think. The system you're watching swing back and forth is called a harmonic oscillator, and there are huge areas of physics that are dedicated to modelling everything as simple harmonic oscillators, From the motions of stars and galaxies, to the interactions between atoms in a crystal, to the current that flows in circuits. Indeed, there was a theoretical physicist who said that the career of a young physicist is just solving the harmonic oscillator problem over and over again at different levels. The motion of a harmonic oscillator obeys a simple equation. The equation is everywhere. It determines so much of the world around us that every physics student is sick to death of it after a year or so. Then after two years, they grow to love it, because they realise there's a really good reason why we keep using the harmonic oscillator equation. Quite simply, we know how vibrators work. We're very familiar with that. A key thing to understand about physics, I think, is that physics explains the things we see in the universe by finding mathematical models that represent the intricate complexities of reality. Now, these models can be made to be astonishingly accurate accurate enough to launch a rocket from Earth that lands on the moon, or Mars, or intercepts a comet like we saw with the Rosetta probe recently. But they are just equations that do a pretty good job of describing reality. They are models. The famous theoretical physicist Richard Feynman said that as soon as something disagrees with reality, it's no longer physics, it's just, you know, an abstract model. How good the model is is a bit like the resolution on your camera. A low-resolution camera discards a lot of information and gives you a blurry picture of what's going on. A high-resolution camera stores a lot of data, and you might be able to see things on smaller scales. But for a lot of purposes, low-resolution is good enough. If you're stood on the train tracks, you don't need a high-resolution camera that can tell you, wow, that's a virgin pendolino heading towards me at 100 miles an hour. You just need to get out of the way. And it turns out that the harmonic oscillator, although it's sometimes low-resolution, is a really good model for lots of systems we find in nature. To understand why, imagine that you have a ball at the bottom of a round basin, maybe like a tennis ball in the bottom of a sink. If you slide the tennis ball a small way from the centre, it's going to oscillate around the centre, back and forth, and providing you don't move it too far up the sink, these oscillations will be harmonic oscillations, just like our pendulum, or a weight on the end of a slinky spring. And it turns out that a lot of things in nature are like balls at the bottom of a sink. We say that they're sat in a potential well, which is really a fancy way of saying the same thing. Systems tend to relax, and they tend to rearrange themselves if they can, so that they have the minimum energy. I feel like this is one of the most relatable principles of physics, because, you know, same. Call it a laziness principle if you like. If you knock your glass off a desk, it will flump down to the floor, where it has less gravitational potential energy. It's fallen deeper and deeper into Earth's gravitational potential well, just like the ball at the bottom of the sink. The same is true for atoms in a crystal, or in most substances, really. They feel forces from atoms that are around them, because of the electromagnetic force, and so they're also in potential wells. And the system tends to rearrange itself so as many atoms as possible are at the bottom of their potential well, because that minimises the energy of the system. So what happens if you give the atoms a smack? steady on. You set off a chain of vibrations. All of the atoms start oscillating in their potential wells, just like the pendulum or like the tennis ball in the sink, and this flows through the material, carrying a sort of sound wave through the material. But providing you don't smack too hard, the motions of the atoms will look like a harmonic oscillator. You can see this time and time again in physics. If you squint hard enough, and if you disturb things just a little bit, lots of things look like a harmonic oscillator. That's because they're close to the bottom of their potential well, and if you shift them a little way, just like the ball in the sink, they rock back and forth around the bottom. So we spent a lot of time studying these systems. I remember a class once we had where our distinguished professor, a very well-respected man, was talking about the subject, only in quantum mechanics. The guy is probably the most intelligent physicist that any of us had ever met. And so when he says... Imagine for a second that I put a certain amount of energy into a vibrator. He had to put in a lot of effort not to laugh. Without knowing it, he'd come up with a pretty forward chat-up line himself. My contribution was, Hey baby, let's go to the dance floor so that we can execute simple harmonic transverse oscillations together. Which, you know, has never worked on anyone. It's a little bit clunky, I guess, but there's always time. But now you can imagine what that might look like. It really is basically my one type of dance move. Bizarre, unsettling, repetitive oscillations. And it makes sense, because if you're going to go clubbing, conservation of energy is important, especially if they haven't played Dexy's Midnight Runners yet. So what does this important equation that I've been talking about look like? Here I can hear the chorus of well-trained physics students from across the land. Light the beacons! And they say x double dot plus gamma x dot plus omega squared x equals f of t. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, if we break it down term by term, it's basically a force equation. It's a differential equation, which means that we're dealing with quantities that are changing in time. X is the position of the oscillator, and physicists use dots to mean rate of change with time. So x dot is how quickly your position is changing with time which is your speed, it's technically your velocity, because it has a direction as well as a magnitude. And x double dot is how quickly velocity changes with time. That's your acceleration. So the first term, x double dot, is acceleration. Newton's second law says that things accelerate based on how hard and in what direction you push them. Those are the forces that act on the object. So all of the other terms in this equation are force terms. The next part, gamma x dot, That's what we call the damping force. You can see that it depends on how fast our oscillator is going, which is x dot. So this might be friction for the ball in the sink, or air resistance for a pendulum. This term is what slows the oscillations down, and eventually means, after a long time, things settle back to being stationary again. If there's no damping, the system will oscillate forever. The next part, omega squared x, that's what we call the restoring force. You can see that it's proportional to the position x. So what does that mean? Well, this is the force that actually causes oscillations. And for harmonic oscillations, the force that pulls you back has to be bigger the further away from the center you get, which is why it's proportional to the position. And this makes sense. For our tennis ball in the sink, if you pull it further from the center, gravity will pull it back to the center more quickly. The same is true of the pendulum and everything else. Imagine the atoms in a crystal. The more you push them towards each other, the closer the charges will be, and the more violently they'll repel. So we can see that there's a restoring force there, too. Okay, so why do we call it omega squared x? Well, it turns out that this term basically tells you the frequency of the oscillations, how quickly they'll happen. And this is really, really remarkable. It's just a mathematical fact from solving the equations, but it tells you something interesting about the system. Imagine pulling that ball a tiny distance from the centre and watching it oscillate. Now imagine pulling it a much further distance from the centre and watching it oscillate. Well, it turns out that if you measure how much time it takes for those oscillations to take place, the oscillations are as long as the oscillations with a much further distance from the centre. So, the distance that the ball has to travel when you pull it further out is greater, but the speed is also higher. And these effects exactly cancel each other out so that all of the simple harmonic oscillations occur at the same frequency. And it's really quite incredible that those terms do cancel out like that. So just one more term to go, and that's f of t. Now this takes into account any other forces that might be acting on the oscillator. So we've got our damping, which is gamma x dot, and we've got the restoring force, which is omega squared x. This is some other force. Now f of t usually means that it's a function of time, so it's changing as the thing oscillates. The classic example of this is, imagine that you're pushing a child on a swing. Hopefully the child knows you well and is not alarmed. Please don't try this at home unless you have a friendly child. This is another harmonic oscillator. The damping forces are air resistance and maybe friction where the swing connects to the frame. The restoring force is gravity, the weight of the child in the swing, pulling it back down to a happy equilibrium where the swing hangs straight down, at the bottom of the potential well. But f of t, that's you. You're giving the kid a push, and that's a force that depends on time, so it's attached to our equation. If you're rubbish at swings, you'll probably wait until the kid is at the peak of the swing, and then waltz forward and try and push the kid when they're at their maximum height away from you. It won't work. They'll fly back and smash you in the face, and then probably laugh at you while you crawl around in the dirt. Kids can be so cruel. But if you're good at swings, you'll stand back and wait until the kid is as close to you as possible, when they've just stopped even, and then push. That way, your driving force is adding to that of gravity, and you're putting energy into the system. The kid will swing higher and higher, and either start laughing or screaming, depending on how brave they are and how scary you are. I was a screamer. Thinking about the energy for a second, we know that energy cannot be created or destroyed, only changed into different forms. Ignoring friction for now, which changes some of the energy into heat and complicates things, the main thing that's going on is that gravitational energy is being converted into kinetic energy, and vice versa. Kinetic energy is the energy of movement. It's associated with objects that are moving in some direction. When the kid is at the peak of the swing, all of the energy is in gravitational form, and it's being used to drag the kid as far from Earth's gravity as possible. When the kid is at the bottom of the swing, they'll be moving quickest, because all the energy is in the form of the speed they have as they whiz through. So as you add energy to the system with your pushes, you're increasing the total amount of energy in the system. This means that the kid will reach a higher peak, but also when they're at the bottom, they'll be travelling faster. There's more energy to go around. There's a fun mathematical consequence to this equation. If there's no damping, and if you time that driving force just right, There's no limit to how much energy you can put into the system. If there is damping, eventually it will take energy out as fast as you put it in. This perfect timing is called a resonance, and it can have amazing consequences. For a start, because you're always putting energy into the system, the amplitudes and the speeds of the vibrations can become massive. The classic example that everyone loves to use is suspension bridge disasters, although the most famous one might not actually be a proper resonance, there's been a lot of argument about this. One that probably was a resonance was the Broughton Suspension Bridge in Salford in the 1820s. One day, some soldiers were walking along the bridge, and they realised it was vibrating beneath their feet. The bridge was acting like a harmonic oscillator. According to reports, the soldiers found this a pleasing sensation. I mean, okay, I guess it's lonely in the barracks, right? And they all started walking in time with the vibration, humour it by the manner in which they stepped. Obviously, it's lonelier than I thought, because when you're trying to get with a bridge, things are probably bad. You can probably appreciate that driving the system at its natural frequency by stepping on it like this was a really bad idea. The bridge started vibrating with higher and higher amplitudes, with all the lonely soldiers driving it with more and more energy, until something snapped and the bridge collapsed. Luckily, none of the soldiers died, but if they'd had a bit more physics knowledge, they could have avoided the various injuries that they did end up with. After that, they made it army policy to break step when you're walking along bridges. Physics 101. Don't flirt with a bridge. The idea of natural frequencies at which things can vibrate is obviously fundamental to music. A guitar string, for example, has lots of frequencies that it likes to vibrate at. But they're all multiples of a fundamental frequency and that frequency is set by the length of the string. The speed of the vibration can be set by the force on the string, which is why the frequency changes when you tighten or loosen a string, unless you're me playing Going to Georgia by the Mountain Goats, in which case you snap all of the strings out of a mix of enthusiasm and incompetence. Physicists call these types of oscillations all the different ways that a string can vibrate – normal modes. You can imagine what a normal mode might look like by thinking about a string that's tied down at both ends. The first normal mode is the simplest possible way you can have both ends of the string fixed in place. You pluck the string in the centre, and it vibrates so that it has a single hump, one peak. So when it's at its fullest extent, it looks like a shallow hill. The second normal mode, you have two humps, and the string at maximum displacement forms an S shape, or a sine wave. Kind of like a shallow hill, and then a shallow valley next to it, a peak and a trough. Note that this means that as the string vibrates, there's one point in the middle that never moves, and we call that a node. And so on, adding more peaks and troughs with each more complicated normal mode that vibrates at a different frequency. And if there's some energy in a normal mode for a system, we say that that normal mode is excited, which gives rise to another vibratey chat-up line. Hey baby, you excite all of my normal modes. But this normal mode analysis is really quite useful, because what is a normal mode? It's actually all of the different molecules that make up the string, or whatever system you're looking at, vibrating like little harmonic oscillators at the same frequency. And these are the solutions you get. And it turns out that almost any kind of vibration, any kind of periodic motion that repeats itself, can be written as a big sum over lots of these different normal modes. So once you understand that, you can break up any type of oscillation, you can decompose it, into lots and lots of vibrators, and lots of lots of simple systems that we can understand and solve. And you can work out how the oscillation is going to change in time, just like that. For example, you can break down any sound, whether it's Nicki Minaj or Beethoven's Fifth or Birdsong, into its normal modes, into sine waves. It's just a different mix of the same fundamental sounds. And in a similar way, you can break down lots of physics into sums of different harmonic oscillations you can break down loads of really complicated waves into their normal mode components, and that lets you solve all kinds of different systems with the same basic mathematics. There's another really good reason that physicists grow to love the harmonic oscillator equation. In some ways, it's the only equation we can actually solve. Okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but lots of the other equations require computers to solve them properly, because they don't have solutions that we're really familiar with, The equations and functions that come from them aren't the ones we're used to. But the simple harmonic oscillator has a simple solution. It's just a sine wave, like the trigonometric functions you might remember from school. We know this function mathematically very well. Every physicist and mathematician can sketch it and tell you all kinds of facts about its properties. Whenever we see it, it makes us very happy. And in lots of ways, it's remarkable just how far you can get with it you could teach for hours and hours and hours upon end about all kinds of systems that basically reduce down to this one equation in some way or another. The motions of atoms and the motions of stars. There are many ways in which they're different, but if you squint a bit, there are many ways that they can all look the same. And in a way, you might find that comforting. That everything I've said to you so far can be broken down into lots of little vibrators, streaming from my mouth into your ears. Thanks for listening to this episode of Physical Attraction. You should do all of the normal things that will help promote the podcast. Tell your friends if they're interested in physics. You can review us on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever frequency you find us on. And uh, you can visit us on Twitter, at PhysicsPod. Um, You can visit us on Facebook. We've got a Physical Attraction page up there. And if you have any questions that you want to ask me, that you want to know about, it's a really good time to do it, because I will answer them all. Well, all of the reasonable ones, anyway. Until next time, talk nerdy to me. Money!